Hi there, and welcome to the Psychology World Podcast with me, Con Whitesley, a psychology student and internationally best-selling psychology author of over 30 psychology books, bringing you the latest psychology news and fascinating psychology articles every Monday. If you want to learn more, then please go to connorwiley.net forward slash podcast for the podcast backlist and to check out my book. And here's the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 189 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Connor Whiteley. And today's episode is on when does psychotherapy end? And it's Saturday the 28th of January 2023 as I record this. So today's episode is actually a great one because psychotherapy ending is never what people tend to focus on whenever we talk about clinical psychology or even the therapy itself because we all know as psychology students and psychology professionals that psychotherapy will end at some point and tons of people don't really think about that because an ending is just what happens when the client gets better, surely, or their psychological distress decreases. But it's not quite as simple as that. So in like today's episode, we're actually going to be looking at this. And even if you're not a psychology student or a professional, and instead that you're someone actually going through psychotherapy, I think this is a really useful episode for all of us because this does take the viewpoint of a psychotherapist and a client into consideration because knowing when to end a therapy is a critical point that both the therapist and the client need to agree on mutually. Sometimes that's easier than other times but this is just such a great episode that you're definitely going to learn a lot from. I know that I did. So, moving on to the psychology news section, we're reading from the British Psychological Society Research Digest. And the first one is a critical one, I think. Female peer mentoring has lasting positive impact on STEM students. Peer mentoring is one of the many ways that students can be supported in their studies, particularly students from underrepresented groups. In the STEM subjects, for example, women are frequently in the minority. Peer mentoring by other female students can therefore provide positive role models and combat stereotypes about two belongs in the field. While the peer mentoring has already been found to have positive impacts for students, a new study looks at the longer term impacts of such schemes. It finds that women studying engineering who were assigned female peer mentors felt more confident and motivated throughout their studies 
Anthony were more likely to participate in an internship or continue to postgraduate education. So, but first of all, though, like just to clear up what STEM actually is, because it's an acronym that I always hear more from American TV programs, and it's mentioned a few times in English schools. Yeah, so like it is widely used in the English speaking world, and because this is an international podcast, uh, I'm not sure how international. Listeners, I will actually know about it. So, what it stands for is science, technology, engineering, and maths. So those sort of subjects. And first of all, it is absolutely brilliant that we found something that works for women, and that it helps us to get women into STEM subjects. Well, that is absolutely critical. Men cannot keep uh, keep like dominating these STEM subjects, and of course, there's absolutely nothing wrong with men being in these roles. But if you work on, if you live in these roles, then you certainly understand that there's very much a sort of attitude that women don't belong in them. And that there's only certain people who do belong in these subjects. It's a great that we found peer mentoring to actually help combat that. And also with the worth of saying though that I know there's a lot of like psychology students who actually listen to the podcast. Peer mentoring, if you're really good at psychology uh, at your university, then try and be a peer mentor. Make sure that you share your knowledge with other students, because that is such a powerful tool that can really help transform a person's life. I'm not going to do it, personally, because my essay writing assignments, etc, etc, they aren't good enough, because even though all my feedback comes back positive from the knowledge viewpoint, so my lecturers and, I, and my markers know that I know the stuff. I just cannot write it in an academic way. Enough of that pleases them. I think they're just being harsh. But anyway, though, so if you're good at this, then definitely get a peer, like a peer mentor. If you're struggling or if you need help, seek out a peer mentor at your university. Try and get signed up to the programme. Because some of my friends have done it, and they're absolutely brilliant. I partly wish that I had got a peer mentor, but um, but with a COVID, because that was my first and my second year, it, that just didn't happen <laughs> whatsoever. So, the second one is, Magic Shoes Illusion is different for people with eating disorders. The classic magic shoe studies show that our footstep sounds influence our perceptions of our size and weight. When footstep sounds are filtered so that a walker hears through headphones only the higher frequencies they perceive for their body to be thinner and lighter. When the sounds are filtered to leave only the lower frequencies, 
They are with Tippy in Navdicate, a heavier walker. This makes people feel that their body has to become bigger and heavier. But now, researchers have found that women diagnosed with the eating disorder, anorexia, as well as healthy women with relatively high level symptoms of an eating disorder, do not respond in the typical way to two refusing of their footsteps sounds. The findings may improve understanding of the brain processes in involved in anorexia and perhaps lead to new types of treatments. Now I definitely think this is this is very interesting application to patients over because the more we understand about the mental processes behind a person's eating disorder and how the eating disorder affects a person's um, psychological processes then that really helps us to build up the literature on the uh, cycle aspect of it and then hopefully though like someone like a lot more clever can actually take that in like, information and use it to inform treatments. I don't quite know how you would take this information and use it to impact treatment but then I guess uh, you would target like the person's um, perceptual processes and uh, that sort of like stuff so it's very good that we're finding new ways to research this and I always think it's quite impressive when someone can point out the implications of something like this and link it to possible therapy. So the last one is just 11 weeks of a piano lessons can improve audio-visual processing. Musical training has been linked to all kinds of benefits, including being better at recognising emotions and improved cognitive functioning, even decades later. However, most of these studies have involved comparing musicians with non-musicians, and it can be hard to know whether musical training in itself caused an improvement, or whether perhaps the two groups were different to start with. Now, a new paper has a video of just 11 weeks of weekly hour-long piano lessons boosts the ability to detect whether an image and sound are in a synced. This is, the researchers claim, the first evidence that musical training causes an improvement in audiovisual processing outside the realm of music-related perception. So I just want to say up front, I really do admire people who play instruments and I actually have the patience <laughs> to do like um, music-related stuff. I tried when I was a child, I could not get it. I really couldn't, <laughs> music is not my thing. <laughs> so if you're listening and uh, you play like an instrument, then you're brilliant in like, my eyes. My eyes, um, yeah, well actually like all of you are. 
But it's also interesting though, right, to actually think about why just 11 weeks is enough though. And I'm not sure that uh, this is like uh, true though, because I'm not going to like, click on uh, the article, well, but my first thought goes to neuroplasticity. And as you're learning, and you're putting the demand of having that learn music on the brain, then the brain will hopefully like change itself to actually like accommodate that. And because music requires you to have audio like visual skills, because you're like looking at the music and then you're having to listen to it to understand it. And yes, I realise this is a gross oversimplification. Yeah, those areas of the brain are likely to grow or adapt in the response to it. So again, this is one of those articles that makes me wonder, should I take up a music lesson? Or should I try and practice music? And I always want to, but I know I will never will, because music just isn't my thing. But if you're interested in music, then definitely go for it. There are tons of benefits, and it's a lot of fun. So, I hope you enjoy the psychology news section. So, let's move on to the personal updates. So, moving on to the personal updates. So, this week has been absolutely great. Because I've been uh, back in uh, the lab, mixing with tons of different puppies and thinning and starting to finish up the data collection of the study for my dissertation. So originally we were going to go for two weeks, but because of an unfortunate technical um, error, we had to drop a lot puppies, so we're going to have to go for another two weeks. But it is a great being a back night in the lab, because we're talking with like puppies, and we're having tons of laughs like with them, and I always find that puppies are just absolutely brilliant in the beginning of the term. This is what we found last term, because the problem is... Well, this isn't a problem in the beginning, because all the good students, they want to get their credits as soon as possible, so they get their credits and they sign up for studies at the beginning of the term, but then the students who aren't quite as bothered, they don't really want to be at university, they leave all their credits at the end, until the end of the term. And their nightmares. <laughs> I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, their nightmares, because that's when we had all the dropouts, all the problems, people just not showing up because they couldn't care less if they got the credits or not, or if they failed. So that was a shame, but we shouldn't have to deal with it. But we shouldn't have to deal with that like this at term though. And uh, getting a back in the lab is a lot of fun. And as always, I always uh, love to hear your thoughts and feelings on uh, today's episode. So you can always email me, connorwiley.net. You can always leave a comment at the show notes at connorwiley.net forward slash podcast. 
and you can watch him on Twitter at Sci-Fi Wiley. I always love to hear from all of you because it really helps make the podcast feel more like a conversation. And today's episode has been sponsored by Clinical Psychology Collection. So this is an absolute brilliant collection that contains three of my internationally best-selling books, which are Clinical Psychology, so this is a really easy yet to understand book that gives you the uh, foundations of uh, what clinical psychology is and what it involves. It also includes Formulation in uh, Psychotherapy, which is one of my favourite books of all time because uh, formulation is where mental health is, should that be like going, and it's all about tailor making uh, the uh, therapy and uh, the intervention to their client. And that uh, sort of basically uh, just saying, right, well, uh, you've got depression, so we're going to give you a CBT, even though that might not work uh, for this one uh, client. And then finally, it includes abnormal psychology, which looks into the treatment and the causes of depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and so many more great conditions. So, what? Why buy the collection in that sort of in that sort of like the books in individually? Well, it's cheaper for one. And because this is a themed uh, collection, well, what you get three books all in one a great uh, collection. And uh, this is a very uh, popular book. Um, so if you want, if you wanted to work expand your knowledge of uh, clinical psychology, then uh, definitely check out Clinical Psychology Collection. Available from all major ebook retailers, and you can get the paperback and the hardback version from Amazon. Your local bookstore or local library if you request it. And you can buy it directly from me at payhip.com forward slash con white today. Buying it directly from authors it just helps to support the authors more because it means that authors like get more of the money directly compared to lining the pockets of the big retailers. And if you didn't want to buy a book, be someone to give the podcast a bit of like one-time support, then you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Wiley. So let's move on to the content part of today's episode. So we're moving on to the content parts of today's episode. So we're going to be talking about when does psychotherapy end? And as I said earlier, this is a great podcast episode that we're all going to learn a lot from. But uh, just as a note, like, first of all, nothing on the podcast is any sort of official advice. Well, advice at last, this is not um, official, professional or medical advice whatsoever. What am I shaking my hands off in this episode? Now, I wanted to fully admit this, and especially after my recent lectures, 
that I was forgetting on a purpose a hell of a lot of real life things that goes on in the clinical psychology workplace. So please, don't think I'm stupid or I'm naive because of this podcast episode. And to be honest, very little of this episode applies if you work in the public sector. Since in the public sector and the NHS in the UK, you basically give your clients six sessions, maybe eight of CBT, if you really beg your boss and that's it. There's basically nothing more you can actually do for that. It doesn't matter if those sessions work or if you're actually at the end of the therapy for the client, you basically have your six sessions and that's it. Therefore, please know whether I'm talking about this in an ideal world. Well done, well done. This is something that you should know that you're at the end of the therapy. Or that this works if you're in the private sector. But I still believe that it's important to learn about so all of us are least aware of these signs. How psychotherapy works. Whilst I know a lot of the podcast audience are psychology students and professionals, I still want to recap this topic briefly. In that case, there's anyone who isn't too familiar with what exactly psychotherapy is. Therefore, psychotherapy is a uniquely collaborative environment centered towards learning since the psychotherapist teaches and works with the client to give them new skills, concepts and knowledge that could help the client to navigate their lives a little easier. American Psychological Association 2012 For example, a client might get help to improve their emotional awareness, finding a purpose, improving their problem solving, or in improving their interpersonal relationships. In addition, therapists use different approaches and types of psychotherapy depending on the demands of the client. Or if you're working in the public sector, you'll basically get what you're given and there's something you can do about it. For instance, Psychodynamic therapy is where you explore your underlying wishes, fears and fantasies, as well as your unconscious thoughts. Brown and all 2014 This form of therapy is effective at improving and addressing people's relationships. Whereas cognitive behavioural therapy investigates a person's mental adaptive thought processes and dysfunctional behaviours, making it a great to treat anxiety, depression and other mental health conditions. Additionally, whilst different therapies target different aspects of a mental health condition, they all have three things in common, or at least share similar aspects. They all involve a relationship between a client and a therapist 
they involve implementation of of goals and health promoting actions, as well as they involve setting both expectations and goals in each therapy session. WAPO 2014 How do we know if it's beneficial to end therapy? Again, unless you're in the public sector, deciding to end therapy is a decision that should always be made carefully by both the therapist and the client. Ending it too soon is very problematic because the client's difficulties might return quickly and the client won't benefit from the therapy if it isn't complete. Equally, there's no point continuing with the therapy if there's no need to. It is always best to decide if the time is right to end a therapy with a conversation between the psychologist and the client, and they both need to agree this is the right time, time because this is a collaborative process after all. As a result, now we're going to recover three questions that might help you as the therapist or client to decide if the time is right. Is the treatment relationship going AWOL? This is the first question I wanted to ask because at the end of the day, a therapeutic relationship is still a relationship. All relationships can go wrong at times, and they can form, be maintained, and break down. The therapeutic relationship is not immune to this breakdown. Interestingly enough, if this conflict does activate, then this is normally the start of a real therapeutic relationship, and the therapy itself. Since if the therapist struck a nerve, then this is an area that is often reflected in the client's real-world relationships, and this conflict spreads to other contexts. Therefore, speaking and working through this conflict is important, and of course, this requires a lot of trust from the client. However, what you don't want as a therapist is for this conflict to be because of the lack of skills on your end. As such, a therapist needs to maintain and hold emotional boundaries with the client, so where this doesn't lead to confusion about whose difficulties are being assessed and solved. If this is the problem and a client can talk to their therapist, about this, and if the conflict still isn't being resolved, then it might be a good idea for the client to find a therapist that has the skills they required. Is the client running away? When a therapy actually starts properly, it is absolutely natural for the client to get scared and as psychology students and professionals, we have to acknowledge that fact, as well as it is important to bear in mind 
that a client's past behaviour can predict their future behaviour. Because if a client has a ghosted or left people in their own lives, then they will want to do the same to you as their therapist. Clearly, if a client does do this, then these behaviours are maladaptive and avoidance focus. As well as, the client might do this because the therapeutic relationship feeds into their fears of abandonment and continue their cycle of avoidance, but the therapy will end at some point, and that's scary. But the client needs uh, needs to ask themselves, what exactly are they running away from? And hopefully, they are going to be convinced, hopefully without any external involvement, that it's important to stick around so they can find out what they're running away from. Is the client improving? So typically, this last question is asked in such a biomedical model way that I hate it. I really don't like this question, especially with how some people ask it. But this is still very important. As a result of the client came to us because they have a mental health condition, severe enough to get a diagnosis. So what this was causing them disruption in their lives. Therefore, when I, when they leave the therapy room in an ideal world, they would be better, and they would know how to live with their con condition. Because of course, you can't get uh, get rid of a mental health condition, and they would be able to live a clinically normal life. However, some clients start to question a therapy when their lives get tough, when they make a, a little bit of, a, of a progress, but not as much as they would like, or when they believe they haven't made any progress at all. When this happens, they should of course talk, uh, talk to their therapist, and there should be a, a, a conversation as to why this might be the case, and it is possible that the client is experiencing psychological resistance, possibly leading them to avoid emotions and slash rejecting the change that therapy brings. If this is happening, then it's good for clients and therapists to know that this could be the start of a larger emotional as well as cognitive process called ambivalence. This happens for a range of reasons, but being able to recognise when, when ambivalence is happening and acknowledge it is important, as this is the first step for the client overcoming the resistance with the help of their therapist. Conclusion Now I know I ignored a lot of real world public sector things in this podcast episode and that is an important detail for the UK audience. 
and there's also worth noting that um, I have no problem with the public sector. I love the public sector, and to be honest, is why I'm mentioning it, because the public sector in, in like in the UK, for example, is so badly damaged at the moment that I'm actually quite annoyed about it, and I would love it to get fixed. And I would love it to get better, so the clients that we help and the people who have mental health conditions can get the help they desperately need, need that well, without having to wait years on a, a backlist, on a, a waiting list. So that's what I've mentioned it to sort of highlight it and to sort of highlight that it's in importance. So again, back to the conclusion in the blog post. As well as I'm sure that the members of, a, of a, the audience working in the private sector can uh, tell us stories about clients ending the therapy when they really shouldn't have. That is sadly nothing new. However, this is important for us to be a member as future or current psychologists. Because if we work with a, with a client, then there will be a point in our careers when we have to ask this a question. And we will have to gently tell the client that they really shouldn't be ending the therapy because there is still work to be done. And therapy is work. No one will ever deny that. Maybe those are few questions will will help you and uh, your client to uh, come to a shared uh, realisation or maybe uh, this episode was just good background knowledge for a rainy day. I don't know, but what I do know uh, is that at the end of the day we can only go so far and if a client truly wants to end a therapy because they aren't ready for the change then uh, there is nothing we can do to help them until they're ready. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and you got something out of it. I personally thought this was a really interesting and to be honest quite timely podcast episode simply because of the lectures that I've been having and some of the discussions we've been having in them. So this was a really good episode that I really enjoyed. And if you know someone who would enjoy today's episode, then please share it with them. I'm always really grateful when you wonderful people help us spread the word about the podcast. And definitely check out Clinical Psychology Collection, available in all the usual places, including my Payhip store at payhip.com forward slash Whiteley. And you can also buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Connor Whiteley. If you didn't want to buy a book, but you still wanted to give the podcast a bit like one-time support. So have a great day everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it useful. If you want to learn more, then please go to 
Holloway.net forward slash podcast for the backlist and to check out my SI Ecology books. Also, please make sure that you subscribe to the channel on YouTube or follow the podcast on your favourite podcast app. Just so you don't miss any episodes that always appear every Monday. So, have a great day, and I'll see you next time.